0: Raised in Wisconsin, Pete Lee began his comedy career in Minnesota before moving to New York City after he made his TV debut on Comedy Central's Premium Blend. It would take a few years after that to get his first Comedy Central half-hour special and another five years to get his chance to perform on The Late Show with David Letterman. Other early credits included VH1's Best Week Ever and True TV's Comedy Knockout, but he has since become a favorite regular on The Tonight Show Starring Jimmy Fallon. Lee tells me all about the circumstances in which he scored both of his late night debuts, as well as his early nights at Acme Comedy Company, what he's learned from Nick Swartzen, Doug Stanhope, and all sorts of stand-ups for whom Lee represents a change of pace. All that, plus stories about partying with Prince and Dave Chappelle, but not together, and the inner workings of his first hour special, Tall, Dark, and Pleasant, which premieres in July 2021 on Showtime. So let's get to it! Wait, I so love- you were breaking microphones? Pete yeah. Peter Lee, not Manly yeah. Man, Peter Lee has been breaking microphones left and right? Since
1: day one. That's what I've been doing. I uh so when I first started doing stand-up, uh, you know, you kinda emulate the comics that are around you. And Nick Swartzon was, you know, a great comedian that came out of Minnesota. And when I first started doing stand-up, like he literally was like his last night in Minneapolis Uh, Was my first night of comedy. So I saw him, and he was just so, so larger than life and so, um, so physical that I was like, oh, that's what I, that's what I'm going to do. And it really, um, it really was a way for me to take all of my nervous energy and just get to be on stage, not nervous. Cause if I was physical, I wasn't feeling the nerves and I used to have this opening bit where I would do a whole thing about static electricity. Cause I, I came up in Minnesota And I don't even know if this bit would work in more humid climates, but uh, I would do a whole bit about how, like, the original taser was in Minnesota. You'd drag your sneakers across the carpet, and then you'd walk up to somebody and, like, zap them. And uh, I would... I would like do this whole physical act out where I'd go back and forth across the stage and I'd have the microphone in the mic stand and then I'd go up and I would shock the microphone and it would actually make like like a big shock noise like like an explosion but I ruined several microphones at Acme Comedy Club because of that and the owner Louis Lee was like he's like all right so you uh you made one hundred and fifty dollars this week, but you broke a microphone, and that's eighty dollars. So you only get paid seventy dollars.
0: <laughs> I'm surprised that didn't make it into the documentary about acne. Yeah,
1: it should have. It, it, it um, yeah the the I Need You to Kill documentary, right. uh, and I mean Louis, Louis was one of those guys. I remember early on, he you know he came up to me and he was like, he's like, you're a really you know you're you're a good writer. Uh, he was like, You suck on stage, but you're a good writer. And if you keep coming back, uh, he's like, If you keep coming back, I think your performance will catch up to your writing. And, uh, you know, he was an integral part of that happening. And I, I think it has now. I, I, it's 23 years later. And I'm like, I think it's caught up.
0: <laughs> so, last things first, congratulations on the Showtime special. All oh, dark and pleasant. Um, the purple backdrop, is that a Prince tribute? It is, yeah. I, I, I love. Um, I can't even say that I
1: loved Prince in the past tense because I feel like he, you know, he's his soul's still alive and his music's still out there. And uh, when I was a college student at the University of Minnesota, uh, we used to take trips down to Paisley Park because he would throw these big parties at Paisley Park Studios. And, you know, it was it was like, you know, you'd have to be 21 years and or 21 years and above to get in Wink. Uh, We weren't. (laughs) But we would basically go down to Prince's studio and drink our faces off and have a great time. And he would always have these guest bands playing that you would go. I don't even know who this person is yet. They haven't broken, but they're amazing. And then Prince would drop in and do like a two hour set like like Prince. Prince, like in music is like what Dave Chappelle is to us right now in comedy, where the thing that I don't think people understood about Prince, because he was so mysterious and so elusive, but he really loved to be on stage and he really loved people and he loved to perform and he loved to share his music with people. And he was in that that bad record deal uh, for a long time where he just was like, well, I'm not I'm not only am I not going to release another record, but I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm actually just, I'm going to change my name. So right. you, like, you own the name Prince and I'm changing like, so you don't even get this new stuff moving forward because I'm just a symbol. And uh, so I think in the media, he seemed like kind of a, a shrewd um, you know, cold as ice, mysterious dude. And but people in Minnesota really knew him as like a man of the people. So, yeah, when I did my special, I, I chose the purple curtains because it was like a subtle tribute to Prince. Uh, I even made a joke in one of the outtakes of the special that I, I'm like, I'm like, sorry, I decorated this like we're in Prince's bathroom right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, so who have you spent more time, personal time in real life with Prince or Dave Chappelle?
1: Uh, Dave Chappelle. I've I've been lucky enough over probably like the last three years to spend a lot of time with him uh, at the Comedy Cellar. And, uh, you know, he's he's such a cool guy. Like um, the first time I ever met Dave Chappelle, I was sitting down for dinner. Uh, I was at the Comedy Cellar and I did one of the um, I did one of the early spots on the 7 p.m. show. So And, you know, there are nights in New York City where you do five spots and then there are nights where you do a seven, you do like a 730 (laughs) set and then you're done for the night. And uh, so I was just done and I'm I'm eating dinner Mm -hmm. at the comics table and Dave Chappelle comes in and he sits down across from me and he's like, he's like, hi, man. He's like, I'm Dave. And I was like, I know that. (laughs) Uh, I was like, I'm Pete. And he's like, cool, Pete. He goes, do you want a cigarette? And I was like. What? Like, what are you? And he just takes out a cigarette and lights it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was like, Dave, can you smoke in here? And he's like, Dave Chappelle can smoke wherever he wants. And I was like, You <laughs> you're right, Dave. Um, Dave Chappelle can smoke wherever he wants. And then uh we're just chit-chatting and, and he's like, Do you like parties, Pete? And I was like, I love parties, Dave. And he's like, Do you want to come to my party on Monday? And I was like, Yeah, I, I like definitely want to come to your party. And uh, and then we like talked a little bit more and then he got up and he goes, all right, see you at the party. And I was like, but Dave, like, I don't know where your party is. Like, you don't even know my last name. And he, and he goes, Dave Chappelle's handled it. (laughs) He just walks away. (laughs) And, um, and I was like, what the hell just happened? And then Val, one of the managers down there, she, came up to me later on, and she's like, Dave told me to invite you to his party, and you can go with a plus one and the party was at this place called the box uh and i like have you have you ever been to one of his comedians' balls uh no
0: but there was there just was one i, I noticed from instagram <laughs>
1: yeah it so I think it was, up until the pandemic it was a yearly thing that he's done for i think the last like six or seven years where okay. uh he And he gave, he got up, like he got up and gave a speech at the Comedians Ball. So this one, this particular one was at the Box, which is a, like a burlesque venue. And that's, that's saying it like really politely. It's the craziest burlesque show you've ever seen in your life. But I didn't even realize that there was going to be a show happening. I was just all excited that Dave invited us to a party and there was great drinks and awesome hors d'oeuvres and, you know, Dave was there, and like all sorts of celebrities that were like really interact. Like, I don't know if Dave told all the celebrities, like, please interact with the comics and be really cool with them because uh, this is their night. And Dave got up and and he's like, "Attention, comedians! Attention!" He's like, "I invited you all here because most of you could never afford an evening this fancy." So he's like, "So I gift this evening to you." He's like, "Live it up." Live, live like you're rich. Cause I know that you're not. And I was like sitting there like, Dave, you could have given us all health insurance, <laughs> but he just gave us, he gave us an experience and, um, and the opening act of this, uh, and I don't know how explicit I can be, but the opening act of this show was this lady that came out like fully naked and um and I'm from the Midwest and she this lady looked like she could have been one of my aunts, you know, like, uh you know, just just a, a round gal. Right. Mm-hmm. And she comes out and she goes, I'm a little fatty. And she starts like smacking herself and oiling herself up. And I was like, what is even happening? And then um, long story short, she pours fire breathing liquid into a place uh, and then she shoots fire she, she takes fire sticks and shoots fire out of that place. And like it, she shot the fire so hard that as an audience member, I felt the warmth from the fire. And that was the opening act of this crazy show at the Dave Chappelle party. Yeah.
0: I feel like, I feel like there's something symbolic to be said about the state (laughs) of the comedy industry based (laughs) on this, (laughs) but I would rather for the time being uh, ask you a couple questions about your special
1: yeah absolutely yeah i um yeah yeah I, so, I, yeah, maybe that was inappropriate
0: I don't know <laughs> no it's it's fine. it's just it's <laughs> taking us down a path yeah, um, taking
1: us down a path where we don't want we don't want to get cancelled, but in, in, uh, a, in a
0: much in a much lighter vein, I noticed that you completely reworked a premise because in your early days, you talked about how funny it was to be named Pete Lee. Uh-huh. But in the special, all the jokes are about Peter Lee.
1: Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, like it's, it's, it's funny. Like I keep writing bits about my name over, over time. And, um, and I, the bit in the special is about how my name sounds like a word from a cheesy romance novel. Like, like she Peter Lee sauntered towards the window and, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm getting older. I'm 43 now and maybe I'm, maybe I'm becoming more of a Peter. I, I don't know. <laughs> Peter seems like he's, he would be like a doctor or like an orthodontist or something like that. But uh, I, I also think that, um, you know, my, my, uh, my mom and my dad call me Peter. And mm-hmm. so I was, I was telling a lot of stories about their interaction with my name. And so I think that's why I, I used Peter, but yeah, I really like, that's that's very astute of you that I I had to make a creative choice there uh, in talking about it to go like Pete or Peter right
0: <laughs> because in your early TV sets or appearances you joked about being Pete Lee beep beep yeah,
1: um, yeah that-
0: but I guess Pete Lee Beep Beep was the guy who was breaking all the microphones. And Peter Lee is, yeah, is the Peter grown up. Lee
1: <laughs> is much more refined now. And uh yeah. Pete it's it's so funny because um like the Pete the Pete Lee moped horn joke um that used to be one of my favorite jokes to open with because it was it was such a quick way for people to get to know me. Um I did that joke in my Comedy Central present special. So I was like, I can't do it in this one since I've already done that in a special. Mm. Um I love that I still love that joke. Like if I'm doing a corporate and I need to like get them quickly, I'll do that one. The um for the people that don't know the bit is that um my name can't be tough because it has four e's in it my name sounds like the horn of a moped it's like Beatley and uh and it's it's wild like uh, you know like talking demographics wise I feel like a very wide array of people really enjoy my um, my stand-up one time I was on the train back to Queens uh, I lived in Queens New York for my last part of my New York journey and um, and I'm on the train and like have you ever been on the train where it's just you and then a guy with like face tattoos right and mm-hmm. and like like this dude was just he was like i'm soft this dude was hard like like i i used to i'm a black belt in taekwondo and i used to kickbox so like i'm secretly dangerous and so there's not very many people that i feel physically in danger i feel socially in danger around a lot of people this person on the train i was like i am in danger this person this person is strong as hell, right? And uh this guy comes and he just sits like he's across the car from me. And he comes and he sits right in front of me. And I was like, What? What is gonna happen? Like, is this how I die? And uh, and he leans over and he goes, Pidley. And uh, and I was like, What? No way! Oh my god, and he's like, Yeah, he's like, Me and my friends, we watched your special, and I and like we just loved it, man. And uh I was like sitting there looking at you, like, is that him? And uh, and he's like and and he's like he's like I saw you looking at me and I was like yeah this I, I thought like this guy's gonna kill me and he's like that's what I thought you thought and uh, <laughs> so he's like I wanted to come over and surprise you so uh, it's kind surprise. of fun it, yeah yeah surprise <laughs> so it it's kind of fun um, you know having humor that is universal uh, I I don't know that there's a lot of comics out there right now where their demographic is kind of Hey, anybody, <laughs> Hey, listen up, anybody. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are more specific and um, I've heard a lot of comedians go like, you, you know, that you're, you're really finding your voice in comedy when you know who is not your audience. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't really know that I have that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like, I, I feel like, I, I don't know. I feel like people, when I look out at the audience, it's, it's people from all different backgrounds, you know, like I'll, I'll have uh, I'll have everyone from people that like they look very conservative, uh, older, you know, and then literally I'll have people from the trans community in the crowd and they are equally enjoying something together. And uh, as somebody who likes to be inclusive of everyone, uh, I it makes me feel really happy that in such a divided country right now that I, I have like one little thing where people can all come into a room and we they kind of agree upon it. I, right. I hope that doesn't sound too cheesy, but um, <laughs> like I, I like, you know, when people talk about like how divided everybody is, I'm like, I'm such a people pleaser. And like, I love, I'm one of those people that like just wants all my friends to get along. And so I'm like, I hey, just want you guys all to like each
0: other. <laughs> right. I mean, that was the other, the other point that I got out of out of your hour was You know, you talk so much about being conflict avoidant, which, Mm -hmm. you know, which is proven by your wide, your mainstream appeal. But then also, but then later in the hour, you talk about your, you, you go out of your way to avoid conflicts, but you love overhearing other people's conflicts. (laughs) (laughs) What what is it, what is it that you get out of? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil the story that you, you use in the special, but what is it that you get out of? Seeing other, seeing slash hearing other people get in fights. Is it a vicarious thing that you know that you don't want to do it yourself?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's, it's basically escape, escapism entertainment. You know, I don't know if I said that term right, but like uh, some of my favorite entertainment is, is stuff where I shouldn't really be able to. Like that entertainment really shouldn't be able to like it shouldn't be a mirror for me to look into. Like it, it's something that is so outside of my personality, almost like the the photo negative of you know of my experience. Uh Game of Thrones, right? Like Jon Snow, he's one of the biggest badasses in the world. He has a dire wolf. Um, you know, like he uh, he gets, uh, you know, he gets women to fall in love with him. He, he'll he kill a white walker. Uh, I have none of those experiences, but I love to escape into that world and see that. So similar to that, uh, if I, I hate conflict in real life, so if I just see somebody that is like having like a, like a knockdown drag out argument. Like I just, I I say in my set, like I will hover until it's done. Like I, (laughs) and, and like, I will be awkward. I'll kind of like hang out by a pole, you know, and like eavesdrop. I, I love observing other people, like other people in conflict. I think part of me wishes that I was better at it. So I love observing uh, how other people handle it. Cause maybe you, when it comes my time to have conflict, I'll be better at it. Cause I've like seen somebody who's a grand master at it, <laughs> you know, handle it. But um, I, yeah, I, I hate conflict. And then I love to, I love to observe it. I think that's, that's like another reason why I love, you know, I love comedians that have diff- way different points of view than mine, uh, you know, Doug Stanhope has been a friend of mine for 20 years and he and I couldn't be more (laughs) opposite. Uh, I think in real life, we're pretty close to we're very similar in kindness uh, levels. I think, I think Doug is a really sweet guy and he's a very, he's a very kind person. Um, And that's where we connect. But um, you know, yeah, I mean, 20 years ago, I remember driving, I remember actually I say 20 years ago, I, I, I worked with him on new year's Eve of 1999 in the millennium. Uh, and uh, yeah. So like, I've known Doug for 22 years and uh, you know, but I remember driving him around and like him being like, Oh man, I don't know if that show was very good or, you know, like, mm-hmm. Oh man, I'm, I'm having troubles with my girlfriend and really talking to him on a human level and being like, it's going to be okay, Doug. And then him being, he's been really uh, I went through a divorce a few years ago And I ran into Doug on the street and he was like, Hey man, I I heard you're having a tough time. Like, how are you doing? And we like sat there and we had a really deep conversation. So uh, I don't know. Um, My point behind this is that comedically, I love, I love comedians that are the opposite of me. You know, Doug Stanhope, I would say Dave Chappelle, I think he's, he actually shows a lot of empathy on stage, uh, especially in the setups of his jokes. And then his turn is like, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the exception to that is
0: this. So I guess it makes more sense to me now than that. When you were living in New York, I saw you most often at the stand Mm -hmm. because the stand did not seem like the place that would be your home club. But based on what you've been telling me just now, that's exactly why it was your home club because you yeah you're not the manly man but that was a very alpha it's a very alpha club
1: yeah and um i it, it's interesting cuz i you know i was in new york for oh gosh uh, i was in new york for 12 years total and i would say 6 of my 12 years n- like none of the rooms worked me uh i just was I wasn't senior enough. Maybe I hadn't made the right, you know, appearances or I hadn't gotten up in front of the right people. Uh, but I would get to do shows here and there around New York. Like I remember when I was warming up for my comedy central half hour, uh, I was literally doing late night at the comic strip to warm up for it. Mm. And I would go out on tour and, uh, do colleges and different venues. But in New York, I just got no love. And then I did, uh, I did a Letterman audition at the stand and I booked it. Like I was I got on the show. I was like, they literally just needed to fill a spot. And so Patrick from the stand was like, Yeah, Pete, do you want to do this? And I did it. And then I was I was the one from that audition that got Letterman. <laughs> and then
0: I, the one I mean, afterthought that they yeah, put on the showcase.
1: Yeah. Is the and, one who gets it. Yeah. And so big big credit to Patrick Milligan. Um, but you know, they they owned a company called Cringe Humor and their brand of comedians, uh, you know, that they kind of opened up the stand to nurture was a you know kind of shock comedy, cringe comedy, dirty comedy, like like s- keeping it real, telling the truth, sort of comedy. And then um, Patrick started to book me all the time, and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know that I really fit in with these guys, why, like, why do you book me? And he's like, well, number one, you kill. And he's like, number two, he goes, it's kind of like, like pitching in baseball. Like you're, you're kind of my change of pace guy. Mm. So like, if I had a show that was all cringe, it wouldn't work out. And then, so I throw up you and you're like a Labrador retriever. And then it, it all works out. Uh, and, you know, performing at the stand, also performing at the cellar. Uh, I think that that, that shaped my, my interest in other comedians, but it also, it shaped my preference for, um for like who comes on the road and opens for me now that I'm, I'm a national headliner. Cause I prefer, I prefer someone to open for me that's either dirty or edgy or more along the lines of, of like a seller or a stand type of a comic. Cause I, I want the crowd to be fully cracked and uh, I want all the subjects to be broached so that when I get up there, I can kind of be a change of pace and like a breath of fresh air. And it it actually like highlights who I am to have somebody before me be different. And whereas I know historically, like I've opened, I've been the opening act for a lot of clean comedians. And, you know, you get to the green room and it's almost scary. They're like, they're like, you got to be squeaky clean. And, you know, everybody around's going like, oh, what can I say? What can I not say? And, uh, whenever somebody comes to the, you know, my green room in the back of a club, they're like, what can I say, man? I'm, I've am i been scared all day. I'm like, let her rip, like <laughs> say whatever, uh, don't get yourself canceled. Um, you know, like, <laughs> like speak with your heart, uh, you know, but also just let, let her rip and, you know, be as dirty as you want to be. And, uh, I, it's funny cause like I have, I have some people that come out to my shows, you know, that are big Jimmy Fallon fans and they're Jeff, they're definitely fans of clean humor. And um, some, like some people will complain that I have a little bit of a dirty opener or whatever, but the majority of people are like, I like that I saw a dynamic show, you know, like something happened there. And, but I, you know, I, I learned that from being at the stand and, you know, following, Uh, guys like Big J Okerson and Ari Shafir and, uh, you know, and then at the cellar, uh, you know, I mean, I remember there was a show where I went up and I followed Chris Rock, uh, Louis uh, CK, pre-canceled Louis, (laughs) Um, Chris Rock, pre-canceled Louis, uh, Tracy Morgan, and then it was me. And so I had to follow that. And so, you know, I, I could never, I, Maybe it's because I'm a people pleaser, but I never want to limit anybody that's that's performing in front of me. Uh, I'm like, just do what you do. And if I can't follow it, I should not be up here.
0: I just I just really kind of enjoy learning that you got Letterman. Kind of as a fluke, not not that your talent was a fluke, but you got the showcase as a fluke. Yeah. But then also the stand was also, that's also how you became a regular on Fallon, right? Yeah. Because Jimmy Fallon lived right by the stand or the old, the old.
1: He lived by the old stand. So yeah, Jimmy has a place and I'm not blowing up his spot by saying this. He literally makes videos of him walking to work, uh, you know, to NBC and he leaves and he talks about that. He lives in Gramercy park. It's like, it's a really great neighborhood. And the stand used to be right by Gramercy park. And, uh, I the story of how I got on Fallon was that um I so you know I'm friends with a comedian named Nate Bargatze who's one of the best he's and he's we, even more of
0: a favorite of Fallon.
1: Yeah, he's even he's he's Jimmy's favorite 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 and so Nate was just Nate was kind of living in obscurity, you know, headlining some weeks, some not. He was talking about how he was performing on cruise ships uh mm-hmm. just to get by and Uh, he was performing late night. I think it was like a Friday or Saturday at the stand. And then Jimmy just came in to have a drink like, Oh, this, this place seems fun. And he walked down the stairs and Nate Bargetti was on stage killing. And then Jimmy was like, man, I I love him. And he plucked him out of obscurity, put him on the tonight show. And then uh, Nate, Nate described it as like literally a couple days later, Jimmy's sitting on his couch and they're writing the sitcom pilot together. And, um, you know, so I heard that story and I was having difficulty getting on The Tonight Show. I I submitted, you know, round after round of tape. Uh, The Tonight Show went through a lot of bookers before they got to their current booker, Michael Cox. Uh, I got a lot of no's. Um, I was... I was told yes when Ryan Williams booked it. He's now the booker of Corden and then he left. And so I had a yes and then he left and it was a no. (laughs) And um, so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get on the show, but I just, I, I, I had this gut feeling that it would change my life in some way. And so a friend of mine told me to read the book, The Secret, and then I'm lazy. So Mm -hmm. well I'm not lazy. I I think i worked pretty hard, but like uh, I'm a little bit, possibly dyslexic. I listen to I listen to a lot of audiobooks, but okay. I don't I don't read a lot. Uh, and so I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch the the secret documentary on YouTube. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, cuz you know, I really want to work hard to get where I'm at, so I'm going to watch the documentary on mm-hmm. YouTube. And, makes sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So there's this point in the middle of the documentary and they're, you know, they're talking about how you need to put you need to put words out there and then words become things like, like the, it's the power of positive thought. And so they say in the documentary, now is the time where you pause this program and you wish for something unreasonable and it's super dramatic. So I was like, all right, pause. I'm like, all right, universe, like remember Nate uh, uh here, you know, Jimmy Fallon came to the stand to see him. He got to go on the tonight show I want that same thing. I want Jimmy to come into the stand and see me somehow. Like I want lightning in a bottle twice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I want him to love me. And then I want him to invite me on The Tonight Show. And then, all right, I got to make this unreasonable. So I want a standing ovation. So I, I wished for all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then two days later, I get an email from uh, my now uh, uh, deceased uh, former manager, Dave Kimowitz, the late, great Dave Kimowitz. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, one of my best friends, uh, an amazing man. Uh, he he emails me and he's like, "Dude, you got a Tonight Show audition." He's like, it, "The impossible happened." He's like, "It's Sunday night," and I mean, we've Sean, we've been in comedy for a long time. Like, are there any auditions ever on Sundays? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> like, I've never I've never had any audition on a Sunday in my life. I was like, "So right away, this is." This is kind of unusual. It's kind mm-hmm. of like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air song, where he's like, "I could tell right away that this cab was rare." You <laughs> know, like I, I was like, "This showcase is rare. Something is weird that it's on a Sunday." Mm-hmm. So, I was I was nervous uh, for the showcase, and I'm standing at this the bar upstairs, and I'm drinking whiskey. And just to like calm my nerves. I heard Hedberg did that before his first Letterman appearance. He like downed a fifth of whiskey. And I wasn't doing that, but like, I was just trying, I was like, this could be an anti-anxiety. How about some whiskey? So Adele, the manager of the stand walks past me and she just smiles at me just ear to ear. Mm -hmm. Like, like you don't know who's behind me. (laughs) And um, I looked behind her and it's Dave Kimowitz. And Dave's looking at me like, dude. Uh, dude. mm -hmm. And then he just like smacks me on the shoulder. And then the next guy was like, Hey Pete, uh, it's, it's me, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, Dave and I have been friends for a long time. And, uh, I just like live right here. And, um, he told me to come see you. And he was like, yeah, I really think you'll like this guy. So I like came over tonight and (laughs) it was like, so, Hey, can't wait to see you on stage. And, um, I didn't know what to say to him. uh like i by the way i don't know if that's a good jimmy fallon impression i just when i do him i I, I close my
0: eyes and it's yeah it was just like being in 30 rock
1: exactly yeah i just try to sound a little bit winded like four percent winded is how you do a jimmy (laughs) fallon impression uh so i but he said all that to me and i just looked at him and i go oh my god the secret is real (laughs) and he was like i don't know what that means but uh Uh, cool, man. I'll see you downstairs. And I turned to the bartender. I was like another whiskey. And, uh, (laughs) and then I, I headed downstairs and my heart was racing like pumping out of my chest because I mean, you've been to a lot of industry showcases. Uh, It's when you're there and the crowd is good, everyone is at ease. Um, The host went up for that particular show and the crowd was horrible. They were they were like dog shit horrible. And then the next comedian went up and just like panicked and then went super dirty but like not dirty in a funny way, just dirty mm. like like imploding. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is a nightmare." And then Roy Wood Jr was up next to run his tonight show set that he was doing the next day mm-hmm. in front of Jimmy Fallon. And Roy Wood Jr is he just turn he turns to me and he's like, and I had to go up after Roy Wood Jr. And normally going up after Roy Wood Jr. is impossible because he, he's a stone cold killer. Like he's one of, he is a veteran that doesn't look like he's like a veteran. Like he, he is, he looks so young, but he's been doing comedy for, I think like 25 years. He, He like, I've looked up to him for so long. And so I remember thinking this is actually good, Because just like football, like he's going to be my lead blocker with a tough defense. Like like he and Roy went up there and killed instantly. And so I'm in the back of the room just kind of reading the room, reading the energy of what Roy just did going. Is there any way I can get on a similar wavelength to that? And hopefully I can just ride this wave. The host comes up uh, after Roy brings me right up, which thank God he didn't do any time because the crowd hated him. And, uh, and then I went up in my opening joke crushed. And I remember thinking like, okay, like, thank goodness. And then, uh, everyone in the room was a little bit tense because Jimmy Fallon's there. And in New York, you don't acknowledge a celebrity in the crowd. Like, no, that's why, that's why celebrities love New York city is because they can walk around with relative anonymity because people won't bother them. So I'm in the middle of my set and I tell a joke where I say, I hate conflict um, uh, I go, I never want to offend anyone. Like the other day, this guy sneezed. I wanted to say, bless you. But instead I go happy holidays. And, uh, and the crowd erupted. Uh, and then Jimmy stands, he stands up and he goes, yes, he goes, I love this guy. And I, I couldn't even <laughs> believe that it was happening. Like it was better than what I wished for in my living mm. room. And the crowd erupts because they can finally acknowledge him. Right.
0: Right. Because he acknowledged himself. He made it. Him he himself. acknowledged
1: himself. And I didn't know what to do in that moment. Cause I was like, you know, you're doing a late night set and traditionally speaking, you got to just do it from start to finish and don't do any crowd work. Don't do anything. But I was like, I have to, I was like, I was like, thank you, Jimmy or sir. I don't, I don't know what I can call you. Uh, and, uh, and he's like, you're welcome, man. And I, I wanted to say, I love your version of the tonight show, but instead mm-hmm. I go, I love your impulse control. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he he was like, Thanks, it's it, it's something I'm working on. And um uh later later on in our friendship, he told me a story about um he's like that mo- that that moment was so funny because he was at Justin Timberlake's wedding and apparently he kept like taking the microphone almost like a la bridesmaids mm-hmm. and like giving speeches throughout oh, no. it to to where you know people had to be like, Come on, Jimmy, like like this is hilarious. <laughs> but stop giving speeches. So like he he gave that as an example of his impulse control and um I thought it was so human and funny uh but um so after the set I get invited on the Tonight Show and then I I get on and I'm I'm on on Cinco de Mayo which it was seemed really fun. So I get there and um uh Seth the warm-up guy uh you know our our good friend uh uh Seth Herzog. Mm -hmm. Um, His last name escaped me for a second. I've spent so much time with him. (laughs) Seth Herzog. mm -hmm. The Zog. um, So it was one of those two show, like two show nights where they're taping two shows. Right. So that way he can have Friday off or something. Yeah. He can have Friday off. And uh, so first of all, I got to the tonight show uh, super early and super before the first show was even being taped. Ooh. And um, they had all these puppies there for my episode. It was me and Giselle Buncheon, the supermodel uh, wife and to puppies. Tom Brady. Yeah. And puppies. And so I was like, I was riding up the elevator at 30 rock and my heart was just pumping again. Like, Oh, what's this going to be like? And Jimmy just happened to be kind of be by the elevator with one of the puppies and, I, and it's like, ding, and the door's open. And Jimmy's like, oh, hey, Pete. He's like, do you want to hold a puppy? And I'm like, <laughs> how can I be nervous when the host <laughs> of the show was like, do you want to hold a puppy? <laughs> and uh, it, and so I'm holding That's this why puppy. they're emotional support animals. They really are. Like, I got emotional support right away. And this, like, this, you know, little uh, yellow lab uh, or golden retriever, I don't even know what kind of puppy they were. But this was, like, licking my face with its puppy breath. You know, puppy breath, how it's like you could – you could put that in a candle and you'd be like, Oh, that's soothing. But, um, and then I, I hung out forever at the tonight show and Jimmy came to the dressing room a couple times and the roots swung by just to say hello. Like, like they're so cool. And, um, and then, so I felt decently comfortable by the time I went on stage. Uh, but then I'm back then I'm backstage and I'm, I'm sweating. I'm going, Oh man, I hope, I hope this is going to be good. And, uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy starts my intro and he's like, no, man, this doesn't feel right. And I was like, oh, oh, that's a bad sign. And Jimmy's like, hold on. You guys, do you mind if I come out and like, I warm you back up a little bit? Uh, he's like, he, he's like, I just, I really want you to be warmed up for this next guest. And he does. Jimmy just does stand up for like maybe five minutes and warms the crowd back up himself. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, this next guy, he goes, it's really special to me that, to have him on the show because he's like, I discovered him personally by going to the stand comedy club. Uh, so like, please treat him like he's my friend. And the whole crowd is like, it's Cinco de Mayo. They've all been <laughs> pre-gaming and drinking before <laughs> it. And they were like, yeah, Jimmy, if he's your friend, he's our friend. And, uh, and so uh, he goes back to the desk. He does my intro. And when I come out, the crowd goes wild. <laughs> and cause he's already given them yeah. almost like a, like a Bob Costas, pre-Olympics uh human interest story <laughs> right. right about me and <laughs> I so, discovered
0: him he's my friend
1: he's my friend you know this is his story and so uh so I go I get out on stage and the crowd is like easy from the get-go and I was thinking man my first couple jokes aren't even my best jokes so what's going to happen when I get to my closer like this is like I felt really good and um And then I got to my closer. I hit that last note and the crowd stood up and I got the standing ovation. And um, I remember thinking like, I know that I wished for this, but there must be a sign above me that says, that says stand up. Mm -hmm. Like there's probably one that says applause, laughter, (laughs) just stand up, you know, (laughs) there's going to be a standing ovation sign. Yeah. So like, I didn't do this. There must be a standing ovation sign. And Jimmy came and he hugged me and he's like, he's like, Oh my God. He's like, you're getting a standing ovation right now on the tonight show. And I like, it started to hit me. He's like, this is a rare moment. He's like, we've never had a comic at a standing ovation on the tonight show. He's like, this is the first one. He's like, this is the first one. And I like, I started to get emotional and overwhelmed. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to cry, Jimmy. I was like, I'm going to cry. And he and I are still mic'd up with our lavalier mics. And so the crowd can hear us over the loudspeaker <laughs> <laughs> me being like, I going to cry, Jimmy. And he's like, cry, man, do it. Feel it all right now. And the crowd is like roaring even harder, like uh-huh. cry. And, uh, <laughs> and I got a little misty and then, mm-hmm. you know, and then Jimmy ran away and, uh, it was, it was such a cool moment. And I talked to Jimmy about it afterwards. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I really wanted you to feel that moment. Cause he, he goes, I remember when I did, when I did my SNL audition, uh, you know, he's like, he's like, it was such a big moment and it was so surreal that I, I had to like, um, he's like, I basically had to decar, decompartmentalize or, or compartmentalize my, my thoughts and like not really be there. He's like, I was kind of disassociated just to get through it. And he's like, I knew that you had already gotten through the hard part. So I wanted you to like, like appreciate, he's like, I needed you to like snap to and be in the moment to like, really feel that moment and he's like and it doesn't it doesn't matter if it was overwhelming it, it's fine and uh I, it was it was such a cool thing and um it, it was also unreal because I came out into the hallway and Brazilian supermodel Giselle Bundchen is running towards me like like she's my sister and we've spent our whole lives together, mm-hmm. and she's proud of me, and we grab hands, and like two sorority <laughs> sisters were just jumping up and down, and she's going, "That was amazing, you did it." and, uh, it, and then we hugged and uh, it was it, it was amazing. Uh, the, the whole thing was lightning in a bottle, and it changed my life.: I don't think Giselle has even done that with Tom Brady i don't think that she has i've seen him <laughs> win super bowls where she's like boy." <laughs> yeah she hasn't grabbed his hands and jumped up and down yeah she's like she's like but seriously tom when are you retiring uh your your family wants to spend more time with you
0: so so pete how so how then like you got to see the secret come true in amazing fashion so how then you know you you said in those first years after you moved from from minnesota to new york you couldn't book anything like mm-hmm. you couldn't even book as svu um <laughs> how did you how, how in those early years how did you persevere um i just kept
1: hitting up mics around new york and i i would i would go and sign up at you know the creek in the cave uh the pit had an open mic where the whole audience was just comics and you would sign up and do two minutes. And uh, you know, I, I'd hit up the pit, I would go do late night at the comic strip every single night that I could. Um, you know, every every once in a while somebody would put me on their produced show and I would actually get to do, you know, like a real show at Stand Up New York or Gotham mm-hmm. or you know, or something like that. Um uh, but then i just I just kept going on the road and honing my craft, but I knew that it was important to do spots around New York City because if I was ever tapped to perform in New York City, I knew that I had to be ready for that because you know new- New York is its own animal uh You can be so funny every single other place but New york city and but then go on stage in New York and bomb and I think that's because most of the places on the on the planet the crowds come out hoping that you're funny and wanting to support you. And in New York, like even the, even the tourists are, they've become New Yorkers in this tiny little window of time that they've been there. And when you go on stage, the New Yorkers and the tourists combined, they kind of have this vibe like, Hey, I'm comfortable if you're uncomfortable. So <laughs> like, like if you bomb, we'll sit here and just judge you. And uh, so I knew that I had to like, I had to cut my teeth there and, you know, it it was like a necessary step in entertainment, and I think I think there's a reason why the best comedians in the world have have gone through New York at some point. You know, um, a lot of the best LA comics have lived in New York at some point, and I'm I feel really grateful that I was there and I and I cut my teeth there for twelve years.
0: So then, uh, where does Duck Dynasty fit into all that?
1: <laughs> my my friend Josh Wade. Um, he was the executive producer for duck dynasty mm-hmm. and it was their last season. And so he wanted me to help him with some punch up work. Uh, okay. Cause you know, duck dynasty was what they called a scripted, um, reality show where, uh, and I don't know this to be a fact, but I'm sure that the Kardashians are a scripted reality. Uh, I, a lot of, a lot of those reality shows, the first season is actual reality. And then they're like, this is a hit. We need to script this like it's a two act sitcom where, you know, there's a problem that happens. uh, They make the problem worse by trying to make it better. And then uh, it morphs into like them stumbling into a solution. And so my friend would basically write the story for each episode. Uh, He would he would come up with, with the template for it. But then there were these moments where all the guys would be sitting around the shop talking or wherever they were at. Mm-hmm. and uh and they needed funny one-liners to say and so these guys weren't going off of a script but it was it was one of those situations where um you know like i would write lines to basically whisper in <laughs> willie's ear or you know uncle Size's <laughs> ear mm-hmm. to go like hey when you're making your point about the goats that you put in this ga- cadillac escalade uh, this this would be a really funny one liner that you could say. So, and those guys were so witty and quick and likable, and I was I was struck right away by how good they were at instantly internalizing a punchline and then being able to deliver it perfectly. And uh, you know, because th- they had done they'd done so many seasons of it leading up to that, and you know you and you wouldn't give them a ton to remember you'd give them two sentences hey some somewhere along the line just say what you're going to say but mix in these two things and uh so it was it was really fun and it also was fun to write you know to write for something that was uh you know outside of my point of view you know like i had to i had to kind of write for uh you know like a fun redneck point of view and uh you know like it's almost the photo negative of my point of view because like like their, their point of view is like, like, Hey, I'm a guy that doesn't give a shit. And my point of view is like, I care about everything. (laughs) Like I care about everything. So um, it was fun to, you know, kind of write the inverse of my material for a little while, uh, but still use some of the same kind of creativity and cuteness that I I use in my set.
0: So did that experience then help uh, make you more comfortable with the idea of moving to LA and, and going um, full Hollywood.
1: Yeah. I, well, I moved to LA because I met a girl out here. I met a girl that lived out here and, um, I, I wound up moving here just to be closer to her. Cause, oh, okay. um, I, I fell in love. It was, I fell in love with her and I called up my friend, Nikki Glaser, and we went out to lunch one day and Nikki was like, well, regardless of what ha- ever happens with this girl, um, She's like, you as a person in comedy, just like I just said, like every comedian should live in New York for a certain amount of time. She's like, as someone who is in comedy and in in entertainment, she's like, it's crazy to me that you've been in entertainment for over 20 years and you've never lived in LA. And like, you basically have almost no connections out there and you maybe have a couple friends, but she's like, you have to go out there and really put down roots and not leave there until you're you're embedded in that community. Um, And I moved out here and I just loved it right away. Uh, Like Everyone at the cellar, when they gave me my going away party and at the stand, uh, they were like, they were like, ah, you'll be back. They all come back. (laughs) And then I got out here and the weather was so great. And it's Mm -hmm. just so conducive to my personality that I was like, I don't think I'm moving back to New York. Uh, I, I, I try to go back to New York, even in the pandemic, I came back to New York and just to do comedy but uh I try to come back there like maybe a couple days a month I'll I'll come back like 4 days a month and then I I I call it just like getting in the gym cuz you can do like 5 to 6 sets a night and I write so much material in New York and then I come back to LA and I enjoy life <laughs> and then I go to New York I write here as well and um by the way I'm still I'm still hitting up mics out here. You know, uh, I went and I did a, a an open mic in Burbank last night and tried out new material. Like it's, I, I think new material is the drug of comedians, you know, um, and I can't get enough of it, but.
0: Well, especially now that you have a new hour coming out on Showtime, you're going to have to write a whole bunch of new material. So. Yeah. I've, I've already,
1: the, the crazy part is that, um, you know, my, my special is pretty much like my best stuff from the start of my career, like 23 years worth of it. And then I even riffed some things on stage. So it's literally like from the first day I ever did stand up to the, you know, to when this was recorded, it is an encapsulation of 23 years of material. And then, uh, now over the course of, uh, I guess it would be April, May, June, uh, July, so over the course of four months i've now been tasked with writing a new hour that's just as good as that one, and I like really blew it all out like I was like, <laughs> this is my best stuff because I might never get another chance to do another special, so I want to make this one count and um, so i i really I, I really uh you know started writing real hard uh, february twenty sixth the day after I filmed the special and I was amazed at, like, I've come up with some bits that are, like, some of my favorite. Like, I wish now that I could go back and put them in the special. That's how much I like them. And uh, I just did, I've now generated an hour and a half of material, which, you know, you're, you know, you're the comics comic. So, this is, like, inside baseball. But uh, there are comics early on that you go, oh, my God, I have an hour, so I should headline. And it's like, no. You can't headline until you have an hour and a half, hour and 45, because there are nights on stage where there's a bit that you love and a lot of audiences love, but that audience doesn't love it. <laughs> so you start going into it and you got to go up. I got to do a choose my own adventure and I got to drop this and, and seamlessly jump into this bit that I, I'm feeling that this crowd will like better. So it's really like if you have, if you have an hour and a half, you have an hour. You know, or if you have two hours, you have an hour. So right. I've I've been kind of like overwriting and um and it, but it, like it's been a really fun process. I think coming out of the pandemic, uh, one of the because uh, I didn't do stand-up for I think six months, seven months. Uh, in in, in I mean, and prior to the pandemic, I never spent less than three days not doing comedy, you know, like, like, so never three days in a row that where I wasn't doing comedy. Like I even went on my honeymoon and did stand up on my honeymoon at the resort. Like I talked to the event planner lady mm-hmm. and was like, and she was like, you're a stand up? You want to do a show? I was like, yes. <laughs> and so, um, but I feel like coming back to stand up, maybe part of the reason why I've been able to write a new hour uh, to tour with so quickly is because I enjoy I enjoy up now more than I ever have in my life. Like it, it, it makes me so happy. And um, I, like I, I, every time I'm on stage, I feel like it's like a make a wish that it's even a thing again. Uh, like there was a point in the pandemic. I, I live in this neighborhood. I live on the ocean and uh, I, cause in the, in the pandemic, I was like, you know what? I've saved my money over the years and I'm going to move to the ocean because I love to surf. So I'm, I'm just going to surf away the pandemic. And my neighbors, they would introduce me to friends. They'd be like, Hey, this is Pete. Uh, He's a comedian. And I'd be like, I was a comedian. I'm retired now. And I don't even know if comedy is ever going to be a thing ever again. Uh, But, uh, and so when it came back, like, I remember my first time on stage, I almost wanted to cry tears of joy. Um, because it just felt so amazing to be back on stage. So I, I don't know. I I feel like, you know, it's cheesy to talk about gratitude, but like, I feel so grateful that comedy's back. I feel so grateful to do this special on Showtime. And, you know, I feel grateful to have already written a new hour to tour with. So it's pretty
0: great. (laughs) Well, Pete, Pete Lee, it's good to have you back. Um, but I know now that, um, that you surf and surfing yeah. is a very manly man thing to do. So I look forward to seeing the new surfing manly man, Pete Lee. Yeah, so At a comedy manly. club near you. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I got a
1: comment last week in Phoenix. Somebody was like, dude, you're getting t- a little too buff to be who you are. And <laughs> I was like, I'm just trying not to fall off my surfboard, you know, but uh, I, but, but that's the new hour. That's the new hour. I I actually do have a whole bit in my new hour about, I I got a surf injury out in the middle of the ocean and uh, just telling you the premise right there doesn't sound very funny, but uh, it's, it's really fun. And I got saved by this cool lifeguard and all this stuff. So uh, if you come out to see me at a comedy club, you'll, you'll hear the surf story. (laughs) All right. And happy shark week, happy shark week. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, just a like nerd out for a second, about you like I when I first moved to New York like in those in those like first six years that I lived there I you know I'd always read your pieces uh you know like uh and I I remember I met you we were we were over at QED in Long Island City was I think where I first met you and I like I geeked out and I was like dude oh my god I was like I was like Sean I'm I'm Pete Lee and uh, I love your stuff and I've just always wanted you to write about me, uh, you know, because I I read all of your, you know, I read all of your articles and you were like, I was, I'm, I've been told that I'm a little much and, uh, and you were, you were very kind to me. And uh, and you were like, Oh, thanks, man, but I could tell that you're like, Is this how I die? Like, like, is is this my stalker? What what is up no, with? No, you
0: him? were my you were my tattoo artist or my, my tattoo ta- guy <laughs> on the subway. <laughs> yeah, right? I thought you were gonna kill me and then you came <laughs> home and you said, Peely. Peely, Peely. You and were that guy for me.
1: I was that guy for for, for you. And and then uh, I remember I got to be on uh, last comic standing season six as a semifinalist. And then you wrote a little blurb about me and it was really kind. And then you posted the YouTube clip of, you know, from Mm -hmm. NBC of the thing. And, uh, and I just thought that was so cool. Like, like I went around for like a whole week in New York and other comics would be like, dude, I saw you on the comics comic. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm just a guy. Uh I'm just a guy really but like whatever. But well, so hey, that's
0: that's really um I really appreciate that. It's, well uh, you're you're a
1: beloved member of the community. Um you're so respectful of comedians and like you know I you know, we love you, man. I man, yeah. it's
0: gonna it's gonna pay me to trash your special now <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: right? <laughs> this is how I'm trying to curry favor with you so you don't so you
0: don't trash oh, it. it's kind gonna- of. It's gonna burn so bad
1: (laughs) Problematic comedian Pete Lee
0: (laughs) He can't avoid This is the one conflict he can't avoid
1: Yeah Is my article about him (laughs) Pete thank you so much Oh my god thank you so much for having me on this This made my day
0: (laughs) things first.